Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Miss Debbie, for the beautiful song songs. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, I failed God many, many times, but God has never failed me. And I'm thankful for that. We serve a faithful God, and he is a God who will never fail us, never leave us, nor forsake us, the word of God tells us. You know, it's good to be saved by the grace of God. I'm glad I'm a child of God. God saved me when I was a 15-year-old young man. I was never deserving of his grace. Anyone who has been saved by his grace would, would say the same exact thing. None of us are deserving of the mercy and of the grace of God. But thank God he chose to love us and he chose to save us when we were yet in our sins. And as Brother Mike talked about in Sunday school this morning, about the love of God. I'm thankful for the love of God, aren't you? That God chose to love us when we were yet uh, in sin. Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8 tells us. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and get into our text this morning uh, in Philippians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given us, that we believe to be your all-sufficient word, God. We don't need anything else. You've given us your word, God, and we believe it, and we trust it, and we submit to it, and by your grace, we obey it. Lord, I pray now that you'd speak to us through your holy word. We bless your name for your gospel, and we bless your name for, Lord, your goodness to us and your faithfulness to us. Bless our pastor and his family as they're away. Give them safety as they travel, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Philippians chapter number 2, if you'd find that with me, please. The book of Philippians chapter number 2. We're going to read the first 11 verses this morning. Philippians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to be speaking by the help of God this morning on the subject entitled, The Supremacy of Christ and the Importance of His Gospel. The supremacy of Christ and the importance of his gospel. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Follow along, if you would, please. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice the word in verse number one, consolation. I'm, I'm reading from the King James Bible. I don't know where you all are at in what translation you might have, but the King James uses the word consolation. Uh, your translation might use the word encouragement or comfort or refreshment. That's what, it, that's what that word consolation means. 
Um, it's talking about refreshment or encouragement. It says, if there be therefore any consolation or any encouragement in Christ. And then uh, notice uh, that it goes on to say in verse number one toward the end of the verse, if any bowels and mercies, uh, maybe bowels of mercy or affection. That word bowels could mean affection and mercy. From our very core, in other words, it's what it's saying, from our very being, from our very core, it should be mercy. Those of us who have received mercy from the grace, by the grace of God, uh, we should give mercy freely to others. Those of us, in other words, who have been forgiven and have received mercy should also forgive and also give mercy as Christ has given to us. Notice verse number two now. It says, fulfill ye my joy. Uh, or in other words, maybe complete my joy is what that's saying there. We are to be like-minded. We're going to kind of break this up into two verse segments as we go along, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6. And we're going to go through these verses verse by verse as we go along here and, and look at this. So it's talking about being like-minded, having a like disposition or purpose. Um, we're, to, we're to be like-minded uh, by the word of God. We are to have the same love. We are to be in one accord and of one mind. Uh, notice verse 2, it says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind there. Uh, we're to, in other words, be unified. We're to be in unity about four things it talks about. It says like-minded, number one have the same love, and be of one accord and of one mind. In other words, that's unity. A church that's divided uh, doesn't stand, right? The Bible says that even a, a people that's divided against itself cannot stand. We must be united. But we don't unite on falsehoods or on lies or on things that don't matter. We, we, we unite on the word of God and on the doctrines of the word of God. So it needs to be unity uh, about the word of God. It is sufficient. It is perfect. It is without error. And the Bible is the very word of God. It is God breathed from the very mouth of God, inspired by God himself using hen, uh, human penmans. So we have unity about the word of God. Number two, not only unity of, uh, about the word of God, but unity of doctrine. You know, a church that tried to stand without having doctrine and being united and agreed upon the foundations of doctrine, it wouldn't be much good, would it? It'd be a, it'd be a pretty big mess, <laughs> and I've seen a few of those. But a church that's united on doctrine, like Grace Community Church is here, praise God for it, uh, it's a church that God blesses. Um, doctrine is like a two-edged sword. Doctrine unites us, but also doctrine divides us. Uh, doctrine is what truly matters. And I'll just name off a few of them that are very foundational, and they're found even in our statement of faith, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. It's not by our works or our merits that we had ever attain salvation or perfection and be forgiven of our sins and obtain eternal life, right? It's by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, his blood atonement, his burial, his resurrection, the virgin birth, creation in six literal 24-hour days, eternal joy for the redeemed, eternal damnation and judgment for the lost, the deity of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of scripture, the sovereignty of God in all things, 
the five solas we like to call them, right? Uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. These things are what truly matter, and these are what unite us and why we are united on these things. These things and others are what truly does matter. So we looked at number one, unity about the word of God. Number two, unity of doctrine. And then moving into the heart of the message more so, number three, uh, most importantly, unity about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is paramount to anything and everything. And it will either unite you with family and friends in a lost world, or it'll divide you. Um, the gospel is the most important thing. You know, there's, there's some that are so firm on their translation of scripture, um, which uh, they might be wrong on the gospel, and I've met many that are wrong on the gospel. And you can go to hell with a translation in your hand that you hold clear, like the group I came out of, King James only. They wouldn't use any other translation but the King James only. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of my saw were very firm about that, but they were not firm on the gospel of Christ. And uh, Jesus Christ laid down his life uh, for his people. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Uh, we we, we uh, are unified on the gospel. We should be unified on the gospel. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his people as the only perfect sacrifice and substitute for sin. God's wrath was satisfied. Turn over to the book of Isaiah chapter 53 with me, please. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. Pastor Legrand has been preaching through this chapter on Sunday evenings when we have our Lord's Supper. It's been a blessing. Um, Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to, to bruise him. To bruise who? to bruise his son, the Lord Jesus. He hath put him to grief, God the Father hath put him, God the Son, to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see the seed, see of his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Praise God that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross satisfied the Father. Praise God for that. Uh, Jesus Christ shed his precious blood. He is buried and he rose again the third day. He is victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Uh, justice of holy God had been satisfied by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. So the cross shows us God the Father's anger towards sin. You know, a lot of people think sin is no big deal. No, sin is a big deal. When we disobey God and we go against his commandments, we transgress the law of God, that's a big deal. Uh, God had to crucify his own son because of our sin. As the songwriter put it, and I love the song, he put it this way, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is, set, is counted free, for God the just is satisfied, to look on him and pardon me, and praise God for that. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. God alone does the saving, and God alone receives the glory. 
A sinner, when convicted by the Spirit of God and drawn by the Father, must, in obedience to the commands of the gospel, repent and believe, according to Mark 1.15. Biblical repentance is this, turning to a holy God from sin. This repentance and faith are not produced by our own ability, but God gives us the repentance and the faith to turn to him and believe on him. They are a gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all a work of free grace, which results in a changed life, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. Ephesians 2, 10, and I'm going to turn over there real quick and read that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, talking about the changed life. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. And I praise God for the evidence uh, that is shown in the changed life of the believer. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you're outside of Christ, uh, you're still yet in your sins. And by the grace of God and by prayer, we're praying that God will convict you and draw you to salvation. But a sinner in obedience to Jesus Christ will bow the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ in humble submission. Jesus alone, he is king and he is Lord. Uh, Adrian Rogers said this, he said, you cannot have what Christ gives unless you receive who he is. A lot of people say receive him as savior without bowing the knee to his lordship, but a sinner cannot uh, receive Jesus as savior if they don't first submit and bow their knee to his authority as Lord that there's pretty a very important step. It's a step that can't be missed or can't be overstepped and gotten around by. You have to submit to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. You cannot receive him as Savior and reject him as Lord. Verses 1 and 2, we looked at unity about God, unity of doctrine, and unity about the gospel. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 back in our text now. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verses 3 and 4, there are several things here that I could point out, but I'm going to go ahead and point out three of them. Uh, I see in verse number three, it says, let nothing be done through strife uh, in verse three. So I see peace where there's a uh, absence of strife. There's peace, isn't there? And praise God for the peace that, that God gives to us. Um, and I'll also point out that obedience to God brings peace. If we want to be in peace with God, we, can, we need to be obedient to God and to his word. So not only in verse three do I see peace, but I also see humbleness. It talks about, in verse number three, lowliness of mind. In other words, we're not looking bad on our own selves, right? We're not trying to beat our own selves up and act like, you know, we, we don't care about ourselves or put ourselves down in an unhealthy sense. 
but we are to be humble. We're to have a lowliness of mind. And also I see not only peace and humbleness in verse 3, but I also see selflessness. It says, let each esteem others more than themselves. So selflessness. And also in verse number 4, it says, look on the things of others. So we, I see selflessness, that we're to, to prefer one above ourselves, to prefer others above ourselves. And the, the big word I see here is vainglory. That one stuck out to me. If you have a, a translation that uses that, that long word, you'd probably have to look it up <laughs> like I did. Or maybe you have a translation that says it more, uh, more easily to be understood. But that word simply means exclusive vanity, excited by one's own performances, empty pride, or undue elation of mind. God says that let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. In other words, we, we should kill our pride. We should put our pride down by the grace of God in obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus. One of the most selfish things I believe that a Christian can do is to not share the gospel of Christ with a lost and dying world. You know, if you and I have have received the grace of God, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, uh, the Great Commission is that we go and that we tell others about Christ. And there's several ways we can do that, and I'll point those out here in a minute. But uh, someone once said this statement, and it's a very good one. It says, evangelism is one beggar telling another where to find bread. And that's what you and I should do. Where to find bread, where to find the water of life. We should always strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to put others first. When we're focused only on us, on our needs, and on our wants, we are single-visioned and only our, on only ourselves and being selfish and disobedient to God's word. When we aren't concerned and burdened about a lost and dying world and don't share the gospel regularly, we are being selfish and disobedient to God and have lost our vision of others. We need to pray and ask God to help us with these things and to empower us to, to share his gospel. We should never look for reasons not to share the gospel or to give the gospel out, but rather we should look for opportunities and reasons to give the gospel out and be praying and asking God for those divine appointments to meet those who are in need of hearing it. How should we do this? I'm going to point out three ways we can share the gospel. Number one, it's pretty obvious, like I'm doing this morning, verbally. Verbally, we, we tell others with our, our mouth about the gospel of Christ. We quote them scripture, read them scripture, tell them of the gospel message, right? Number two, by our lifestyle, how we live, how our testimony is. You know, if we, if we go to work and we say we're a Christian, and yet we go and we curse and we do all these these things along with the, the, the best of the heathen, we're proving ourselves to be a liar, aren't we? You know, by our lifestyle, how we live, how our testimony is, we point others to Jesus Christ. And then also number three, by print. You know, out there in the foyer, we have gospel pamphlets to grab and to give out to others as God gives us uh, the nudging to do. Uh, or Bibles or books or uh, John and Romans. There's many avenues of things to hand out. Maybe a fourth one we could add to that would be uh, a link. Send someone a link to, to something online. They can pull up and watch or read articles. There's so many ways in our uh, society that we can go ahead and give others print more than we've ever had before. And praise God for it. And I, I pray that we're all using that by the grace of God. 
So those are some ways we can give the gospel out. If we believe that the seed, the gospel seed, I'll go ahead and add, is good and powerful, and I'll add which it is, amen? The gospel is powerful, and it is good. Then we need to be sowing it. We are not to look for the results. We're to be faithful and to leave the results up to God. God didn't tell us we had to win 100 a week. No, God told us just to be faithful to share the gospel, and it's God's job to do the saving. I'll read the quote that we have out there in the foyer by Brother Spurgeon. It said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. And I say amen to that. Brother Spurgeon was right on. You know, we know the Bible teaches that there, are, that there are many that will not be saved, but may not be because of our lack of prayers or our lack of telling others about the gospel message and the saving uh, message of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there is nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter a Bible translation. It doesn't matter your music preferences or your dress preferences or whatever uh, it boils down to that's important to you. Uh, what is important, most important, according to the word of God, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is paramount to anything and to everything. Alistair Begg said this. He said, the gospel is what unites us. The central verities and truths of the gospel are the basis of our unity. And the things which are peripheral and non-essential cannot be used as a mechanism for raising a barrier to either disenfranchise people or call into question who they are or what they are or what they're doing. We can become so rigid, so overstrict, and so narrow that we become guilty of schism. When churches start to raise these unnecessary barriers and make them credos of faith and make them badges and ties of authority and status and position and significance, it is only a matter of time before the gospel loses its hold in their hearts and in their community. Loved ones, under God, we must never, ever let that happen. And I say amen to that. The gospel is most important. And then looking at verse 4 now, back in our text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, we should stay focused. We should stay in our lane. We shouldn't be detracted from what truly matters. Again, qu quoting Brother Alistair Begg, he said, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And I, I totally agree, 100%. What God has is most important in the Word of God. It is explicitly clear for all of us about what his Word says, right? That's most important, namely the Gospel. Uh, moving on to verse 5 now in our text. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, we are to have the mind of Christ. How are we to have the mind of Christ? By his word, by reading his word, meditating on his word, memorizing his word, and, and most importantly, obeying his word, right? Like the book of James talks about. Um, we're to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, deceiving our own selves, the word tells us. 
What was the mind of Christ? Well, we see it explicitly laid out for us here in verses 6 through 8 of our text. It says in verse 6 down through verse 8 in our text, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We see the mind of, of Christ right there, how that Jesus Christ was lowly, how he was humble as our Lord and as our master, yet he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He made himself of no reputation. Moving on to verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. God hath given him, meaning Jesus, a name which is above every name. God not only made him above, but he exalted him. God not only exalted Jesus, but he highly exalted Jesus. He gave him alone the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is none above the Lord Jesus. He alone reigns as King and Lord. Moving to verse number 10 now, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every knee. That's talking about earthly kings, rulers, presidents, generals, wealthy and poor people. Every knee will bow before King Jesus. He alone is King and Lord. Uh, Down to verse number 11, it says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He was made Lord by the Father. Those who reject, those who mock, those who ridicule and scoff will one day bow before King Jesus. As the songwriter put it, all hail the power of Jesus' name, Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Jesus Christ is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords, and we can boldly and confidently proclaim that message that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess, that Jesus is Lord. Now, when they confess that and bow that knee determines, you know, which way they're going. If somebody, by the grace of God and in humble submission, to the drawing of the Father and the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, bow the knee to the Lordship of Jesus and confess him as Lord, as Romans 10.9 tells us. Right now, today, while they have time, they will find mercy and forgiveness. But those who scoff and ridicule and are forced to bow one day before uh, Christ in judgment, they will face eternal judgment, uh, sadly enough, if they fail to, to bow the knee to Christ. Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. He bore the sins of his people. Amen. I'm glad not one single drop of blood was shed in in vain. I'm glad that Jesus Christ shed his blood, and every drop was for the sins of his people, those that the Bible calls his elect, those that were predestined or predetermined, God-ordained before the, the beginning of time. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, 
that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Uh, the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ paid that price that you and I could never pay in a million lifetimes. We could never earn our way to heaven. We could never earn the favor of a holy God. Why? Because we're sinners. We're depraved. In and of our own selves, we're on our way. We're damned and under the judgment of God. And as I've said <clears throat> before, we're not going to be under the judgment of God. We're under the judgment of God. Those that are not in Christ, right the second, the Bible says. You're under the judgment of God and under the wrath of God this very second. So I implore you in the name of Jesus Christ to flee to Jesus, run to Jesus in repentance and faith. If the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you this morning of your sin and your transgression against a holy God, uh, I, I implore you to run to Christ, repent of your sins, turn to Christ alone and believe his gospel. Jesus Christ himself declared in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Run to Christ, bow the knee to his lordship, repent of your sins, and believe on Jesus Christ alone. It's the only hope for your soul. If you're here and un unsaved, bow the knee to the lordship of Jesus. The gospel of Christ is paramount to anything and to everything. And I implore you in the name of Christ, run to Christ. There's only today. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today. At that, uh, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer and we'll, we'll be dismissed in prayer after the, the song here. Heavenly Father, I pray now you would bless your word, God. I've tried to be faithful to your word by the power of your spirit, and I pray, God, you'd do what only you can do and bless your word, God, and that you would be honored and glorified. And Lord, I pray that if there's any that are not saved in our midst this morning or maybe going to listen to this message in future, Lord, I pray that you would convict them by the power of your Holy Spirit and draw them to repentance and faith in Christ alone and that they would bow the knee to your lordship. In Jesus' name, amen.